Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you along with L.A. Marzulli. We're talking about elongated skulls in Peru that some say could be normal and natural humans, that they elongated <laughs> as babies. Others, maybe not. So 58 DNA samples, L.A. Tell us what happened. Well, out of the 58, 28 of them basically sequenced. Um, and many of them, or I should say some of them, would be the results exactly what we would expect. They were B. Now, the haplogroups, it comes from the mitochondrial DNA, the mother's side of the equation. And so there are lots of different haplogroups, and those haplogroups will point to a certain area of the world in which <clears throat> these people originated in. So when you get B, that's Amerindian. That's basically what you would expect to find in the native population of Peru or in North America. Okay. This is where it goes off the rails, George, that out of the 28 samples that sequenced, many of them, a good many of them, showed a Middle Eastern, Eastern European, H21E, specifically, that was from uh, this 1,935-year-old baby mummy skull, which we were allowed to unwrap and get DNA samples in Senior Juan's Baracus History Museum. That was tested at two different labs, three different times, U2E1. That is Eastern European that rewrites history as we know it. Now, of course, the naysayers, oh, it's contamination, it's contamination. And my retort to that is, how many samples do we have to take before someone goes, well, maybe it's not contamination. Maybe people migrated here from the Middle East. And, of course, that jibes with our hypothesis, again, scientific mm -hmm. method, which was 3,500 years ago, 3,500 years ago, when Joshua and Caleb pressed the conquest of the Promised Land, they were these tribes of hybrid entities known as the Nephilim, the Anakim, the Emim, the Zanzumim, the Horites. They were all there in Milan. And what we think, our, this is conjecture, this is our hypothesis, when they began to go in and press this conquest, many of these tribes just packed up and fled. They just fled the area. And what we see, in my opinion, and this, of course, is in other films, is that there's traces of this. They moved west out through the Mediterranean, uh, Cyprus, Sardinia, Sicily, uh, Spain, Menga, into Portugal, up into the U.K., and finally over here. And we show that in uh, episode four and five, America's Stonehenge, where there's a definite connection to uh, basically the Phoenicians once again. And the Phoenicians are a Canaanites. The Canaanites is a broad term for the Nephilim. So they're everywhere. It was, it was utterly global. And we think they landed in Peru 3,500 years ago. And we have some startling information, which we did not put into the film. But I'll, I'll tell you basically, you know, as, as the interview un, unfolds a little bit. Why did you get blacklisted by these DNA labs? And if anyone's listening and they can get us into a DNA lab, please let me know. L.A. at LAMarzulli.net. L.A. at LAMarzulli.net. Uh, we were given, and I'm not going to embarrass any of the labs. These are two um, very well-known labs in the United States. I'll just leave it at that. But they didn't like the results. They didn't like the results. What do you mean they didn't like the results? The results are the results, right? Well, that, that, that's what science would say. But just like my discovery out on Catalina Island when I found that photograph showing Ralph Glidden, 1919, primitive archaeologist employed by the Hay Museum, later gobbled up by the Smithsonian 
front page of the L.A. Times when he actually discovered this stuff. Uh, and we, I was on the on the island. I found the photograph. Glidden standing in front of a nine-footer. We had that photograph analyzed by three separate techs, all placed it just around nine feet. Well, the museum redacted the photograph, redacted the giant out of the photograph. And, and, and you know, until I discovered the photograph, it was just sitting in a, uh, a, a museum archive box in a vault. And when I published it, it went viral. And the museum didn't like the results, and so they redacted the giant. They cut it out of the picture and, and blew up the photograph and wrote this hit piece on Ralph Glidden. Well, we photographed that, filmed that. That went viral. And, of course, now when you go to the museum, last time I was there, the photograph is there. But there's nothing about what you're looking at, folks, as a nine-footer. And, that's, that, again, that ties right into our whole idea of that the Nephilim were here uh, in the Americas thousands of years ago. Okay, and biblically speaking, the Nephilim were the offspring of human women and extraterrestrials that came here and bred and bred with them now if you believe that biblical story does that tell you then that these elongated skulls which you believe to be part of the offspring of the nephilim are humans with the nephilim genetics born here or did they also come from another planetary system well i don't think they're planetary and you know where i stand on this i think they're interdimensional uh, basically, right. the Hebrew word is the B'nai Ha-Elohim, which refers to um, messengers, the angelic hosts of another dimension. So these, these entities came down, and, and we've got you know, other, other books like, like the Book of Enoch, like the Book of Jasher, Book of Jubilees, that are not part of the biblical canon, which talk about this incursion of these, these entities which come down and mate with the human women. Um, Sitchin and that whole crowd, you know, the Anunnaki, we're talking about the same thing here, in my opinion. So if you want to say it from another planet, you can say that. In my opinion, they're interdimensional. They're coming down, but they're doing the unthinkable. They're creating a hybrid entity known as the Nephilim. And this is uh, heavily documented throughout the biblical narrative. And what's interesting, when you actually go to the Genesis 3.15 narrative, where it, where it talks about... The offspring of the dragon, the offspring of the serpent, will be at war at enmity with the offspring of the woman. He, the Messiah, will come and crush the dragon's head, which we know happens at Calvary 2,000 years ago. So, you know, people can choose to believe that or not. That's a prophecy that's thousands of years old, and yet we see it fulfilled basically 2,000 years ago. And then the whole thing changes, George. The whole dynamic of the Nephilim and hybrids change, and I'm going to leapfrog here into the modern UFO phenomena, but that's where it goes to. It goes to the hybrids. The same type of thing is going on, but they're not given in marriage, which fulfills another prophecy, which talks about in those days, what days? The days where men will run to and fro over the face of the earth, and knowledge will increase. In those days, they, who is the they? They will mingle their seed with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave to them. And the word cleave is the same word given in marriage. There's no marriage contract like there was back in the Genesis account, at the time of Noah and also afterwards, when, when Joshua and Caleb are pushing that conquest into Canaan. I mean, it's all right there, and it's like, it's very enigmatic, and it's very mysterious, but a, a student, a careful student of the biblical narrative, can sort it out. It's not completely cloaked, and I think we've done that. Why don't we have elongated skull people running around the planet right now? 
because they seem to have vanished, at least most of them. Now, the Kandahar Giant, that, in my opinion, was a Nephilim. And we, we talked about that in our Watchers 10 series with the, our, my good friend of the late director, Richard Shaw. We miss him very much. But, you know, Rick and I did that film, and that went viral. Uh, with the whole Kandahar giant, and hats off to Steve Quayle. Hats off to you for coming in uh, on that and talking about it. It was it was just a wonderful interview. <laughs> Our roles were reversed for that, but it was it was great. Yeah. And uh, we broke that story with the Kandahar giant, which was different than Steve Quayle's account. There's in other words, there's two giants, and the one in Kandahar was about 12 feet, um, lived in a cave, and we don't know how extensive that cave complex was, nor we. Do we know how old this entity, this giant, may have been? It could have been thousands of years old. We don't know. But the whole idea of a Nephilim just sort of go away. And that's why we're not seeing this down uh, in Peru. Now, uh, in our film, DNA, The Final Results, we show a man from the Mubeto tribe who has an artificially elongated skull. But there are morphological differences between the elongated skulls in Paracas and this man living in the in present day from the Mubato tribe. I mean, there's definite, you, you can see the difference. And, and, and just some of these differences, and this is why we truly believe when we state it in the film over and over again, these are genetic anomalies. They are not the result of cranial deformation. They're not. And, George, i got to tell you, I mean, I am, I am, after doing this for seven years and looking at all the evidence and, and, and talking to medical doctors and surgeons and optometrists, this, you can't do this through pressure. You can't do this from cranial deformation, cradle headboarding. This is something that is genetic, and we can talk about Jeez, some of those differences. Now, you talked to an optometrist uh, on the film. Tell us about his remarkable discussion. Well, he's looking at these, and we knew something was up with the orbits, you know, where the eye, where the eyeball was. We knew something was going on with that. But here's an optometrist. This guy's trained, and he's looking at, and we had more than one artifact to show him. And he's going, well, here's the first thing: that these orbits, these eye sockets, are about thirty percent larger than a normal human being. George, you can't do that through pressure. On no, 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 no. You can't. You'll go blind. You'll, you'll, well, bl- you'll blind exactly. the poor baby. You exactly. Know. You, can't, you cannot do it. So it's 30% larger. But here's, here's the one thing, and this is, this is Dr. Jeff Dunn who came up with this. He's measuring the pupillary distance, they call it the PD, the pupillary distance, the distance between the pupils when they're in the eye sockets. A normal human being is between 62 millimeters and 65 millimeters. Guess what? Not only is the Paracas elong, uh, elongated skulls, the orbits are 30% larger, but the pupillary distance is about 40 to 42 millimeters, completely different. And what this means, what this translates, is that more than likely they were either nocturnal, lived in caves, lived underground. And, and when I was with Tim Alberino last May 2019, and we were down in Paracas, we went out to this place. It's called a reserve. And we were there with a Peruvian archaeologist, and he took us to the remnants of the Paracas people. Some of these things still are there. Many of them are were bulldozed down and completely destroyed, but there's several of them that are still sort of intact. And they're made of whalebone with seal skin on top of it, and on top of that, like a foot or two of mollusk shells, and then they go down into the earth. And I asked the archaeologist, I said, well, you know, when you guys went down and explored these things, 
uh, did you find evidence of torchlight? How could they see? And he looked at me and said, no, there was no evidence of any of that. We don't know how they saw. And so when Jeff Dunn, and, and you know, they could have done this too. Why, why they didn't do it, I don't, I don't understand it for the life of me. But in some ways, and I don't mean this in a, in a disrespectful way, but in some things, they, nobody cares and that nothing ever happens. And so, you know, this, it took me to bring a remnant of the skull or a model of a skull created by Joe Taylor to an optometrist here in the States. And right away he went, wow, these, the orbits are 30% larger, pupillary distance completely different. They were nocturnal. Here's the kicker, George. Guess what? One of the Nephilim tribes were called the Horites. The Horites. And they were cave dwellers. The word Horite means cave dwellers. We also know that because of the foramen magnum, the placement of the foramen magnum, that's that hole in the back of the skull where your, where your spinal column attaches, okay? And we know that that's pushed back. And, and you, you've got a picture on, on, on the coast-to-coast site which shows the, um, the, what's called the Chongo skull. It's the one that most people see when they go on the Internet and they type up elongated skulls. That will come up. It's very, it, it went viral. It's very elongated. And we were the only team uh, up till recently who was able to take that skull out of the display case and have it turned over so we could see where the foramen magnum is. And in the film we show this, and it's the first time that anyone's seen this, as far as I know. That foramen magnum, if it's any further back to the posterior of the skull, it's outside the skull. You cannot do that with pressure. And you can hear me go, when she turns it over, I go, oh my gosh, it's all the way in the back. Because we knew what to look for because of the work of our anthropologist, Rick Woodward, who basically said the foramen, and other doctors corroborated his work, and surgeons, that the foramen magnum should be, you know, in this location, more in the center of the skull. But because it's placed all the way in the back, it would necessitate some sort of uh, correction or an elongated neck. And here's, again, one of the Nephilim tribes, and I'm not making this stuff up, is called the Anakim. And Anakim is translated long necks. They're not giants, wow. but neither, neither are the Paracas. That also sounds like Anunnaki. Exactly, very much. And that's why there's a similarity there. I think the mythos that we read, um, you know, from uh, uh, Zechariah Sitchin's work and others, uh, I think it mirrors the biblical narrative. So what are we really looking at here? Are they, are they planetary or are they interdimensional? And we, we don't know. If we're intellectually honest, well, we did, don't did, know. Did any of the DNA samples show something unknown? This is the deal, and if we've got listeners out there who can get us into a new high-powered DNA lab. We've got samples. We've never been able to get nuclear DNA. Now, there was a a, a gentleman, I won't mention his name, who was privately, um, had an incredible computer system, and we gave him one of the samples of the baby mummy skull, and he showed me where the sequencing was off in certain areas. He said, look at the sequence here, look at the sequence here, it's it's not human. And so, I mean, wow. I will state on the record here, and I will defend my position after seven years of research, and I want to thank the donors who made much of this possible, who don- donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to get us down to Peru. And I didn't take a salary, uh, you know, f- from any of this. 
uh, this was strictly all for research and to pay the people on our team to come down and do this research. And, of course, you know, DNA lab and testing is, is expensive. I just want to thank our donors to make that possible. But I stand on what we discovered, and I truly believe that these are not human beings. They are another species. Because we don't have a nuclear DNA, we're not sure what we're looking at. We don't know. We have no idea. But the fact that the mitochondrial DNA points to a Middle Eastern slash European origin does rewrite history. So if you're a skeptic and you say, well, that really doesn't rewrite history, well, excuse me, with all due respect, it does. Because we're told that there was no no intermingling till Columbus came over here in 1492, and we know that that's bogus. They were here on the shores of Peru, George, 3,500 years ago. As we show in our film, America Stonehenge, which is episode four and five, we show that they that there's a stone there that says to bow of the Canaanites in dedication. And the Canaanites uh, are a Nephilim tribe, once again, from Beirut, the whole Middle Eastern thing, Nephilim, that's a Nephilim site right they're, here. They're, in the they're my ancestors, Lord. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Is it conceivable, L.A., that those of those DNA samples that just showed elongated skulls, and there was a portion of that, is it conceivable they were trying to emulate what they were seeing? And that would be beings with elongated skulls. Well, I, I hear what you're saying. I think that these are the offspring. I mean, I, I really, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with Nephilim. I'm going to go with, with the Anakim or the Horite. All, all, all of them. All of them. All, well, not all of the elongated skulls. Some of them are cranial deformed. Some of them are headbound. And we've learned... Right, but, but what I'm saying is those that were headbound, maybe they were trying to emulate the entities they were looking at. Exactly. That's exactly the position I hold to. That's exactly what I think was going on. That's dramatic. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.